for for my first question, I just want to say, as you obviously know, California has passed a law that allows biased or law-breaking police officers to have their badges revoked, as well as banning the use of rubber bullets and a number of other restrictions. How... I'm just kind of confused because it's really hard to tell how this is a new thing because cops could always have gotten fired and been removed from the force. So what makes this different than just losing your job, essentially? A big difference is that uh, every state is different there. First of all, there's no national standard or law or regulation about the licensing or certification of police officers. So uh, every state handles it somewhat differently. In some states, they have statutes that directly uh, define uh, how a person or what you must do to qualify to be licensed or certified as a police officer. And uh, some states also have laws that uh, regulate decertification. The issue is, is that for misconduct, yes, a police officer could be fired but what has historically happened is if a person is not decertified or does not lose their license, they could just get hired by another police department, either in that state or in some other state where they have reciprocity and recognize your professional uh, certification there. So you have so-called bad apples that would move from one department to another. And you're starting to see a reaction to that in many states where they are passing laws that say no if if someone is fired that has to be reported uh, somehow or and we have to prohibit or restrict this person just moving on to another police department where they could end up engaging in misconduct yet again so it's it's less about removing them from the force they're currently on and more about preventing them from getting another job and being a cop again well, it does both. If you get decertified or lose your licensure, then yes, you can no longer work for the department you were at at the time of the original misconduct, but it has the added benefit of now preventing you from moving on to another department and, and uh, causing problems there as well. So on to my next question, California was far from the first state in the United States to pass a law like this. In fact, they were one of the last, a lot of most states in this country have already had some sort of law similar to this. With with more states trying to hold police accountable, do you see there being a significant change in how they operate and how they conduct themselves in law enforcement over the next couple of years? Well, it will, it will take time now. For example, this California law, I'm not sure how common it is for states to have laws that include specifically um, acts of apparent bias as a grounds for decertification. In uh, Michigan, we've had decertification regulations for several years, but I don't recall that a demonstration of obvious bias is a one of the specific kind of infractions that would lead to decertification. So I kind of suspect that California law may be somewhat unique in that respect. But uh, what may happen is other states may add that. But it will it takes cases. Uh, 
it takes case law. It takes uh, someone actually being decertified who will then probably fight it in some fashion, whether through a lawsuit or some administrative proceeding, like with an arbitrator, depending on the laws in the state, and whether it ends up being enforced. And, and then uh, to what degree is this recorded or reported? And, you know, does the state know how many uh, have actually been affected by this? Uh, that's the other thing is sometimes states or don't have the mission or regulations about the reporting to be able to really analyze and keep track and research. It, it's interesting you mentioned the lawsuits and the idea of uh, fired and decertified cops fighting back against the state. Just because, and it's something that's been an issue without throughout history in the U.S., just because you can fire someone or just because you can decertify some, someone doesn't necessarily mean that they will be fired or decertified. How do you think you can make it so that people who deserve to, that don't deserve to be cops, get removed from the force and all forces permanently? Well, you have a certain burden of proof. So, for example, in criminal cases, in criminal court, you must prove someone is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, and uh, in labor law or in regulatory law, it's usually a lesser standard, a preponderance of the evidence. And uh, however, you can have someone that gets uh, in trouble, a police officer that engages in misconduct could be criminally prosecuted and found not guilty. They could be acquitted in criminal court because they did not meet the burden of reasonable doubt. They could still be administratively terminated or some other disciplinary action, and yet they can probably appeal to arbitration or to some administrative process or through a lawsuit, end up getting reinstated. So you can never guarantee uh, anything. Uh, I mean, I've seen so many cases where someone really shouldn't no longer be a police officer and yet an arbitrator gave them their job back or a judge did a court order and uh, in a lawsuit and uh, and it probably depends on the uh, the climate uh, and the specific labor law in every state and whether uh, particular police officers are protected by uh, an association or union that has relatively strong collective bargaining rights uh, you know, that can um, make a difference as well. So there's always a chance of something being overturned. The same thing when a police officer makes a valid criminal arrest, the person could be convicted in court, and then later uh, it could be overturned on appeal. Uh, you know, and that happens and always has happened in our history. Basically, just make sure that you handle the case well. Whoever's prosecuting the cop just knows what they're doing and you know. Yes, you have to you have to uh, use an approach of fairness. You have to follow the collective bargaining agreements, the regulations, and the laws. You have to you know uh, collect a valid evidence and present a, a strong case. And at the end of the day, you could still end up losing the defense side, if you will, which might be a police union or the individual officer might hire an attorney. Uh, you know, it can be overturned or or the enforcement could be denied. But the the hope is, is that there will be uh, sufficient success that it would provide somewhat of a deterrent effect on 
officers to engage in misconduct and also an incentive for police departments to really um, engage in um, a, you know assertive supervision and training of their officers uh, to make sure that they're not just looking the other way or ignoring uh, any uh, sorts of uh, signs of uh, especially patterns of uh, misconduct and uh, so it, it behooves them as well so what happens sometimes is an officer might be fired but a victim of police misconduct whether it's bias or some other type of a case uh, could end up suing the police department and you know so there there could be financial penalties against the department and also the bad publicity that gives them an incentive to make sure they supervise train and enforce so over the past couple of years particularly last year in 2020 there been kind of a disturbingly high amount of police brutality incidents in late September this year a school safety safety officer in Long Beach California uh, shot a woman and she's now legally brain dead if I'm not mistaken what kind of changes do you think the police outside of obviously this how do you think that the police need to change in order to prevent an incident like this from happening again while still being useful and effective in law enforcement? You know, uh, uh, from my perspective, and I, I spent 25 years as a state police officer, um, probably there have always been cases of police brutality. Some things that have changed in recent years is the um, prevalence of, of uh, social media, of people with cell phone cameras and and you know, police with body cameras or or webcams in the patrol car, and things like that. So now there is uh, more evidence to be able to go forward and do something about it. And the and the society, our climate has changed as far as uh, tolerance of it. Uh, sometimes I look at it and I, I shake my head and I I look at some cases of police shooting unarmed people. And and as an old police officer, I realize that on a video on the news, you're seeing an edited few seconds uh, that does not give you the totality of circumstances. At the same time, I, I look at these cases and I wonder, in so many of them, why did a police officer shoot someone running away who was obviously not armed or uh, a threat? Um, I, I often wonder what is going on in training and supervision of police that, that uh, there seem to be uh, a, a growing number of cases where they're using uh, very uh, aggressive force, including deadly force, uh, perhaps. Uh, and um, and I'm sure that uh, it's killing police morale when so many cases, some of them may be completely, if you will, justifiable or righteous, if, if you want to call it that. And, and yet they're still being investigated. They may still be sued. There may still be disciplinary action in the climate that goes on today and that's got to be very challenging for a police morale it's affecting i think retention of officers and uh, recruiting of uh, qualified candidates um but uh, sadly uh, it sometimes takes uh, prosecutions where you have an obvious or an egregious uh, case uh, in order to uh, start having some sort of a deterrent uh, effect and and kind of uh, prompt a, a change in police culture. Before uh, 
before you go, um, is there any last thing you'd like to mention or? No, sometimes I think I am glad that I served as a police officer during the historical era that I did. Uh, it would be much more challenging. I talk to young uh, officers today and, uh, you know, uh, being uh, under the uh, uh, scrutiny of the public and uh, the kind of attention uh, uh, that they get today is uh, so often so disheartening for them. I uh, really admire those that persevere and keep the right attitude. I I think there will be changes and further emphasis in, in, uh, in changing training to have less of an aggressive approach, to engage more in de-escalation tactics, things like being more sensitive about uh, people with autism or with mental illness. Uh, you know, there's just so many uh, skills beyond anything that uh, I was trained in over 40 years ago uh, that uh, are required for uh, successful policing today and, and for the type of policing that society really expects and, and demands. Well, Professor Scherzing, Thank you for your time. It's my pleasure, and good luck with the program. Good luck to you with a. Uh, you're. I, I don't know what you're doing outside of this, but. Well, I'm, I'm retired twice now, but I still teach online classes part time, and my wife and I also do daycare for our great grandson, which uh, is much more intense than teaching the online classes. I can tell you so. Well. Have fun teaching online classes and being a grandpa. All right, very good. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.